on today's episode of Policy Wise. I'm still baffled at why the school is trying to close a deficit that they anticipate having years from now by closing schools. You have a lot of policy conversations. It's easy to think about it in the theoretical or in the abstract, but these are children. These are families being affected. It happens in a lot of different neoliberal institutions where closure and privatization is the avenue that administrations choose to go down. We start to see that that pipeline of people getting in trouble in school and then getting in trouble outside of school, all because their education isn't being prioritized. It was revealed to some of, uh, well, to Twitter, quite frankly, that there was a developer on site of one of the East Oakland schools that was set to be closed with one of the school board members doing a tour of the campus. But more on that later. Welcome to PolicyWise. Well, today we have Councilmember Carol Fife, who has been leading movements and organizing people in the city of Oakland um, for quite a while and is now really one of the leading voices when it comes to issues of equity and housing and many others. I am Carol Fife. I'm a longtime organizer in the city of Oakland. And I uh, was recently elected to represent Oakland's District 3. There's a lot of work to do there a lot of work and so um, I don't like talking about myself so if people do want to know more about me please google me and read all of the things that are good none of the things that are negative and we can go from there Today, we wanted to talk about the Oakland School District and the recent decision to close schools um, and merge certain schools that has been voted on. What is a little bit of background information that you can give us to get an idea of the situation predating the decision? Well, that's difficult to say because the decisions for closures are uh, decisions that are consistently a part of the agenda from the administration um, with the Oakland Unified School District. So we're, we're in that time frame right now where once again, uh, many schools are being uh, forced to close, but we've been here before. I'm a former teacher. Uh, I didn't get to spend as much time in the classroom as I had intended because when I was finishing up my graduate degree for urban education at Holy Names University in Oakland, uh, I started working on a mayoral campaign in 2014 and have been in electoral politics ever since. So I never finished. I just had to write my thesis on urban education. Oof, I just, it, it, it was, hey kids, stay in school, stay in school. But um, other than that, I would, be, I would be teaching in OUSD right now had I not worked on that campaign, but it was an issue then, right? It was, it's been an issue and an ongoing issue in Oakland where closure is the way that our uh, city, well, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I work for the city, but it, it happens in a lot of different neoliberal institutions where closure and privatization is the avenue that um, ad administrations choose to go down versus other potential cost-saving um, efforts. And so it's a problem. And, and it, it's been happening for years in the city of Oakland. Uh, uh, my daughter has been more deeply entrenched in the organizing than I've been. She's a senior at Met West High School, and she was one of the primary youth organizers for the Black students um, that were supporting reparations in schools. And now she's also a part of the school closures organizing. Would you mind setting the stage for us? What was happening recently with the school closures? I mean, 
would we could read all about it but would love to hear it straight from somebody who's been in the mist and and that's what's confusing to me and I, quite honestly i'm still baffled at why this school is trying to um close a deficit that they anticipate having years from now by closing schools um you know this year and next year so I'm confused by that. They had there was a budget surplus with Oakland Unified School District, and they said because of low enrollment, that in order to ensure that they keep costs down over the the next few years to come, they need to close uh, schools now. Uh, because I guess COVID created this um, situation where not as many young people are coming into the classroom, but. The, the cost savings that would come from closing the schools comes nowhere close to the amount of, of money that the district is saying that they need to, um, to make up. So it's, it's none of this, none of it makes sense to me. Okay. I'm glad that you're saying that none of it makes sense because when I was trying to figure it out, it didn't make sense. <laughs> um, so right. it, it sounds right. like, I mean, uh, my guess is is that there's there's a piece to this that is in public. Uh, that would be my yes, guess. Yes, that is that is that is my guess as well. Especially because it was um, it was revealed to some of uh, well to Twitter, quite frankly, uh, that there was a developer that was on site of one of the East Oakland schools that was set to be closed with one of the school board members doing a tour of the campus. And they wouldn't check in. They wouldn't give their names to the office. But I know there was uh, a nonprofit developer as well as a school board president, Gary Yee, who was touring one of the sites in East Oakland. And, you know, the speculation is, is that they want to develop that site into uh, a different use. So I, I, I would argue that, yes, there's probably something going on that we don't know about. And that is unfortunate. And so um, with this decision, what can we expect to see moving on now? With the decision, well, originally there were several schools that were slated to be closed, including one of the oldest public schools in the city of Oakland, which is in my district, and that's Prescott Elementary School, Mm. 150 years old. Um, And it's a school that has been targeted for for many years with co-location of charter schools for closure. Uh, as well as several other West Oakland schools. And, um, oh, I was like, it, it's, it's going to be a problem if you are trying to close all of these schools in my district. And, um, you know, for some reason, I, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, we did a huge demonstration at Prescott. I, I brought my office together with the school board director's office and a lot of community organizations uh, including the Community Ready Corps, Parents United, and several others, um, to to just voice our, our concerns and our pushback to this this operation. So all of the West Oakland schools were taken off the list for closure. Wow. Um, and so now they're only East Oakland schools. But we see Oakland Unified School District as one district. We're one family, mm-hmm. and we're going to fight no matter where we're located for the families who will be impacted by these decisions. So um, they're still slated, the schools are still slated for closure at the end of this year. And and there's other ones in East Oakland slated for closure next year. And I'm glad that you mentioned impact, like the families that are gonna be impacted, Mm. because this isn't, 
this isn't necessarily you know i feel like when when you have a lot of policy conversations it's easy to think about it in the theoretical or in the abstract but these are children right. these are families being affected this is livelihoods this is your route to school this is you know right. whether you're able to access an education um and be fully present what are some of the impacts which communities are being impacted by this Unfortunately, in this country, I think it's clear when these types of decisions are are made, who will be impacted. Yeah. Uh, when, when people's lives are uprooted, it's typically uh, poor people, black people, Latinx people, queer people. It's all of the marginalized populations that are typically steamrolled by power and money. And so I'll give you an example of, of one that my daughter told me about. She attends Met West High School and they share a, a campus with La Suelita. It's one of the schools that it's not completely closing, but they're closing some of the grades, right? So um, she has a friend who goes to Met West and their younger sibling goes on to school at the elementary school on the same campus. So now their family will be forced to either take um, the high schooler out of school and try to find a location that is mutually benefit. I mean, you know, mutually beneficial for both students, um, you know, because the students from La Solita uh, matriculate to Met West. And so if now in the morning they have to go in two different directions, that adds to the burden of time um, for getting your kids to school. Um, it adds to the distance. And let's talk about the environmental pollution that that causes. If people are, using, um, you know, cars to get back and forth and trek across the, the, the city to go to a different school. Or if it, if it's public transportation, then it lengthens your time to drop your kids off at school, which then impacts your ability to get to work at a certain time. I mean, things just are, are, and that's just one of the simple cases because there are other cases where they're talking about closing community day, which is the only alternative school that young people can go to when they aren't able to go to any of the other schools that they've been into because they've um, had incidents where they can't go to Oakland Public Schools anymore. It's the last opportunity to get a high school uh, diploma or do continuation mm. in uh, an Oakland high school setting at community day. So, you know, the other, I think the only other alternative location is in Hayward. So, mm. you know, once again, I'm not a professional on this particular issue. I am involved. I am supportive. I've been at the marches. I've been at the rallies and I've contributed um, other resources. But what I do know is that this is a story that keeps happening to black and brown families in Oakland over and over again. And when you don't have a, an opportunity to have a semblance of peace and security where you can build and just have, um, you know, a little bit of just downtime to just think so you can thrive, then that upsets an entire generation. Yeah. And education is so key that I don't know why the, these types of um, games are being played by the administration. It's, it's, it's quite harmful. So when we talk about impact, I think this is really important and is actually something that we can connect to the last episode we did on Michael's idea about um, 
uh, increasing access to higher education, because what we see is when um, there isn't a foundation laid out starting in elementary school, there's less likely to be one laid out in middle school and then high school. And then that also um, reduces the opportunities available um, for people who want to seek a college degree or who want to have uh, a layout for themselves in terms of what they can pursue with careers. And so I just wanted to take a minute to talk about that. You're absolutely correct. And I think it's um, terrible, but it's fine, right? It's terrible, but it's fine. It's terrible because we keep going through these cycles where um, the lives of working class people and um, BIPOC communities are turned inside out. But it's fine because I think it is creating a whole new wave of activism in this city that COVID um, just laid dormant to some degree. It, it created a, a, a lull in the activism in, in the city of Oakland. But this right here, this right here, oh my goodness, it is really um, catching fire with so many different people. And it's coming at the exact same time where... I, I've drawn criticism specifically from law enforcement agencies that are saying that I'm crazy for demanding investment and resources in places other than policing and specifically in early childhood education and in public education. I believe that it, when you invest, especially in the years um, of children's lives between zero to five, and then also in the critical developmental stages of middle school, then you create a foundation, like you just said, Mahek, where um, young people have the opportunity to build on what they've 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 learned. They get to build on that that nurturing, and so when it's robust and we pour money into them and resources and opportunities, then we'll see a return on that investment in ways that we just do not see with policing. And by pointing that out, doesn't mean that I'm just like um, all cops are bastards. That's not what that means when we say invest. And, and children, it means that we want all young people to have the same opportunities at being able to thrive. And we know that comes through investment in early education. And so now that they're cutting schools budgets and literally um, cutting off children from uh, their future potential by forcing this type of upset to their families, we, we will see, I guarantee we'll see the impact of this um, in the near future. Because the, the, the writing isn't on the wall. We know what happens when they, when they close schools and what happens to neighborhoods because we have the evidence uh, right here in the city of Oakland that it doesn't save money and it does upset the lives of our, our residents. There's quite a bit there that you, that you mentioned. You're preaching to the choir. Let me start there. <laughs> um, <when> you, <laughs> with, the, with a lot of points that you're making, especially around investment and young people and it, you know yeah. the future generation of the the world. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Um, I wanted right. to, to just kind of thinking about the impact. Um, and, and you kind of mentioned, you know, some of the the minor ones that kind of re re remember, excuse me, makes me remember um, when I was young, uh, much younger. And I, I was in fifth grade. Actually, I just graduated fifth grade. I was on my way to middle school. I thought I was a big kid or whatever. Um, <laughs> got a call or my family got a call from the school district. Um not that the school I was going to was, which my sister currently attended, um, was closing down, but that they had too many students and that a few students were randomly selected to have to attend other schools in the district. And mm. then my parents had to pick another school for me to attend. Um, not only did I cry like a baby because that meant 
uh, I was never going to be able to see, not never, but uh, I wasn't able to see many friends for the last time. I, did, I had no idea that it was going to be the last time I saw a lot of my friends. But the second wow. part was that my entire family, I mean, if you think about, so I was in sixth grade, my sister was in eighth grade. So we attended two different middle schools for no reason <laughs> other than mm. they had too many students and picked, I got randomly selected. And so that meant that when we got dropped off in the morning, one of us was going to be late. <laughs> right. It right. Meant, it meant when we get picked up, somebody's getting picked up last. Um, mm-hmm. It meant when uh, when there was, what is it? When when all the parents come to school, um, the parent-teacher conference days, while the parents come and, you know. Yeah, like open house. Yeah. Kind of you remember that? Like the open house? Yeah. Um, at my school district, it all happened on the same day across the district. And so that meant. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, somebody's How does that getting work? the parent. <laughs> oh my goodness! And my mom is a and nurse. And, we... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh wow! Sorry, Michael. But when we talk about one of the kids is going to end up being late, well, after a certain amount of tardy is what happens. Then you go to detention. What happens if you get a bunch of detentions? Then the punishment then increases, and so right. we start to see that that pipeline of people getting in trouble in school and then getting in trouble outside of school, mm-hmm. all because their education isn't being prioritized. So there is like this domino effect that happens. Yeah. Right, right, and that's why when when these chants and the, the movement started to say that Black Lives Matter. I was like, oh, I wish they did. I really wish they did. Because you know what matters beyond everything is power. And power is the ability to define phenomenon and make it act in a desired manner. That is what Minister Huey P. Newton taught us. And if we do not have the power to push back on these types of decisions and make these phenomena, to create the phenomena that we want to see in our lives, then we don't have anything. And so... The, the beauty of uh, the, the power that we do have is what's being rebirthed right now through activism around these school closures. Because once again, it was, it was dormant for a little while, but they don't understand how these restrictive and oppressive tactics just re-energize people to push back and realize that they have power. And so I'm excited about the moment that we're in right now because I'm seeing parents and families who weren't otherwise activated just be like on fire. And so, yeah, they should bring it on because people are not going to sit by and allow this to happen. Council member, you bring up a really good point around the conversation of power and kind of taking the reins. Um, clearly, that's something that you've done in your in your past, in your career. Uh in my understanding, when I've did a little bit of reading, you come from a, more of an activist background. Am I am I correct on that? Yeah, and I used to have an issue with that because the ways that it was used by the media, it was used as a pejorative, right? Um, to say that I was an activist because I never classified myself as that as an activist. I always, you know, the things that I was fighting for, I had to for my family, right? So I'm just like, oh, I'm not, this is not about to happen. Oh, I'm not about to let that go down. Does anybody else want to? Okay, great. Let's talk about it and let's do something about it. So I never really saw myself as like an activist. I think those are folks who um, are super, super necessary. Um, but I felt like I was just fighting for my life mm. and um, the things that I, I really care about. And so I do come from a background of not taking shit. 
if if that's what you mean, if that's what an activist is, like and not accepting the status quo. But um, yeah, it was you know I I always struggled with that when people start realizing who I was. I never wanted that. I didn't want people to know my name or my face. Um, and it just kind of worked out where I, I got in this position because, yeah, I believe in what I do and what I fight for. And somebody had to make the change, right? Oh, well, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. But this system did not get so calcified overnight. And I've been in office for like not even a year and a half yet. So um, I'm seeing on the inside how things just remain so terribly corrupt Mm. and why it's difficult to see any change because I I believe that, you know, I'm I'm seeing that there are policymakers that are not elected. And I say policymakers because they sit in the seats inside of City Hall and some of these other places and typically outlast elected officials. Because you have you have people in in positions of govern government who've worked there for twenty and thirty years, who are just like, no, this is how we do things, and I'm going to be here longer than you will. Mm-hmm. So even though you pass a law, you don't get to implement it. So we're just going to s- kick the can down the road or just wait because we know it's it's a process getting any policy passed and then implemented. It takes a couple months to draft a resolution to do the research and get the study done and then to bring it to council and then to vote and then to have it implemented if it ever gets implemented. And so after a while, you're like, oh, I understand why nothing changes because it wasn't necessarily designed to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's also really critical that the streets stay activated and that there's always pressure from the outside because left to its own devices, uh, government would not really be the place to be for change. Yeah. One of the um, the goals of PolicyWise is to kind of bridge that gap that exists between young people and elected officials and policymakers. Um, and so I kind of want to go back to what we talked about, how there was activism and efforts made and they were successful in preventing school closures in Oakland. And so I wanted in, in a certain part of Oakland. Um, um, and so I wanted to ask a little bit more about what those efforts looked like for people who can be who are listening um, and who might want to get into these type of um, efforts themselves. So you're you're asking what efforts stopped the West Oakland school closures? Yes. That's a great question because I cannot put my finger on it. I don't watch a lot of television, but someone made me watch um, Futurama. And there was, uh, there's this character Bender, who's like a, a robot. And he had a, a village of, of tiny creatures living on them. They thought Bender, who was, you know, a, a robot with substance abuse issues, who ended up in space. And this colony of living creatures started living on Bender's um, body. And he was out, he was trying to, they were all trying to find God. They were all trying to figure out, like, where is God? What is... And they thought that Bender was God. All bow before the great metal lord! Because he was so much larger than them. Who are you? And he... It's just this crazy... I definitely encourage everybody to watch it so you can understand what I'm saying. But ultimately, he said um, he, he got to meet the real God. Oh, 
Oh my God, are you God? And he said, when when you do things right, that's kind of my philosophy. When you move in, in, in a way that actually forces change and sometimes you might not see the impact of what you're doing, but the, it, it, it comes. Sometimes it's super vocal and sometimes it's quiet. I love when it's quiet because it, it for, for several reasons, including safety, including, you know, you don't have as many haters. When you can make things move behind the scenes and they happen, oh my goodness, I, I love that type of activity. So um, I don't know what happened. I can't put my finger on it, but we know right now that there are no closures happening in, in District 3 and in West Oakland. And so now we need to have that same type of energy for East Oakland. I think they knew like the floodgates would just pour open. So we got to keep that, that fire going. Yeah. And, and hopefully that, you know, hopefully it was a combination of, of, you know, people being receptive, but also messages being sent to the right places. Um, yeah. I'm curious, kind of thinking about power and change and, you know, kind of how do you perpetuate change in a system that is designed to not, um, what do you think is kind of the key? There is no silver bullet, but what do you think is your key to enacting change? And what do you think your maybe you have a set time because of, you know, term limits, you have a set period of time in which you can be, you can be doing this work. How do you plan on using that time? What is your, what do you think your space is there and your role in the time that you're there? Quite frankly, I think it's to be rebellious. And I, I am so, if, if, if I didn't have young people around me, like people younger than, than myself, like generations, um, is, is young as like some middle schoolers that I'm organizing with, I would probably just be in a deep depression because the people around are so used to doing things the same way. And I, I love that young people are challenging everything that they've been taught. I mean, we're seeing it with critical race theory. We're seeing it um, around the environment. We're seeing it with education, just challenging what current with Bitcoin. I don't, what is that? I don't get that, (laughs) but just challenging everything that, that, that we have as our, our institutions, I think is key to, to transforming what currently exists. So I think in my time there, I'm going to continue to challenge the systems that we have. So, so that it's boring, but I have to get some informational reports on why do we do this that, this way? How much money have we put into this? Um, why don't we try this? This was passed. Why wasn't it implemented? That's, that's part of my uh, trajectory while I'm on city council, but it's also to introduce legislation that hasn't been done before. Um, it, it's a short stint, uh, my tenure on council. Um, so we have four years. And so I'm going to do as much as I can to shake things up and to, to introduce new ways of doing things. And I encourage anyone at Berkeley, especially in the School of Public Policy and <laughs> Statistics, to, <laughs> to, um, to reach out to my office because there's so much work to do. There's so much that I have on the horizon that I think is um, transformational, definitely encourage people to get on board. 
That's exciting. And I know that there's a lot of opportunities for folks who are interested in getting their hands a little dirty. Um, and That's open, right. By dirty, I mean, you know, getting good work done. Um, yeah, good trouble. Good trouble. Good trouble. <laughs> Nothing but good trouble. Yes. Um, what do you think most shaped your perspective in terms of leadership on the council? Um, do you think that much of that happened as you were growing up? Do you feel like it was in your adult professional career in your time as a mother where do you think kind of most influenced your time as a council i think all of the above right i had the experience of um or the benefit of being at the same school from the time i was four to 14 and then i had that that culture shock like you did michael where you know we switched schools and so it wasn't until high school that i had this new reality but, you know, my, my whole childhood, it was so stable and so secure. And um, then, uh, you know, moving to a new place and, and seeing how different things were in public school really changed my perspective. Even as a young person, I'm like, wow, uh, the ways that people are talked to and treated and uh, the, you know, experiences that, that, that I had in a public school were so different than when I went to a, my Christian school. Um, and there were both there were challenges in both places. I learned about what racism was, even though I didn't have the words when I was in elementary school. But then, in in public school, I learned that um, you know resource, resources are unequally distributed. And I learned you know just the different stratification of <laughs> this is this is my adult language, but I I got to see just the differences in people's lives who had free lunch and people who didn't and people who had access and people who had resources. And so when I, when I grew up and grew up when I was 18, I just started to think differently about everything. Like, why do I believe what I believe? Am I a Christian? Am I agnostic? Like what, who am I and why am I? So I started really asking myself, myself these questions because I really wanted my life to matter. And so I wanted, I definitely knew through my um, experience at a, at, at a Baptist, prim, a primarily white Baptist uh, parochial school that I, I knew I wanted my life to be of service because I wanted to give back and I'm a deeply sensitive and loving person. And I wanted to, I wanted other people to have the same type of stability and, um, you know, richness that I had in my childhood. And I got to see, you know, growing up that a lot of people didn't have that. And I was curious as to why. And so then when I moved to California um, three years later, after I graduated from high school, because my friend on the cheerleading team was like, let's go to California. I was like, OK, um, with two hundred dollars in my pocket <laughs> and was like, I'm going to I'm going to make a living. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just knew I didn't want to be in Michigan. And so um, then I just started seeing one of my first trips was to Skid Row in LA. And I'm like, how can we allow human beings to live like this? And what are the conditions that, that create this? And then I started doing a lot of, um, you know, study on race and, and the origins of this country and, and just like chattel slavery and things like that. So a lot of things informed my, my, my perspective. And then just coming to Oakland and having a lot of challenges with housing the cost of housing, being able to find it. But I will say like my first apartment was $500 a month for a one bedroom and a duplex. And that's, you can't do that now. Hmm. And so I'm just like, I would right. right now. 
And I was like, oh, how am I, how am I going to pay for gas and my rent and cable? And I'm like, please, $500 a month? So, and just to see inflation happen over the last two decades in, in Oakland and the way that it has, and now to see so many more people on the streets of Oakland than I saw on the streets of LA and Skid Row, it breaks my heart. And be, when, when my heart gets broken, I, it, the world should be concerned because I, that's when I want to set stuff on fire. Not literally, but you know, to just sometimes you got to burn stuff down to make it better. That's how forests grow. And so, um, yeah, it just, mm -hmm. a, a lot of my personal experience informed my work on council because I, I have permanent principles about what I believe in and what people should have access to. And that's what I fight for. Wow. That was, that was beautifully said. So thank you for enlightening us with that. Cause I think that was, that was, that was awesome. Well, thank you. Um, thank you. You know, I think absolutely. Um, in my personal opinion on elected officials is that they, they play dual roles, a lot of roles, but two mm -hmm. main ones to me. Um, what the one, one part of it is the policymaking aspect, the making change. Um, but I think the second one is one that, uh, I think less people than I would like realize is also inspiring. It's also representation. Mm. It's also being the person who's sitting in the place that can say to somebody like, we can look into that or we can do that or let me see what I can do or, you know, that it's, it's very hard to put into words, but it's, it, it's to me something that is so valuable in civic society that we almost never talk about and very few people pay attention to until you have moments like this mm -hmm, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. or until you have conversations or, you know, like me when I was probably what, 10 years old. Yes. Did the math in my head 10 years old when Brock got elected and uh, President Obama got elected. And I was like, I don't know what this man is saying, but I know I mm. like it. <laughs> and I know that, you know, I, that it makes me feel like I can achieve higher. It makes me feel like there's something more that I can do or that maybe I can be in that space. And we just saw, uh, we just saw the first black woman on the mm -hmm. Supreme court that alone, you know, before she rules on anything mm -hmm. that alone has had an impact on children. It's had impact on people right. that, that, just seeing something like that happen to me is also the role of somebody in public service. So I want to thank you for your role in public service and the people you've inspired so far, because it can be a thankless job <sighs> and very few people might say thank you because they're too busy yelling yeah. at you or whatever yeah. else might be part of the job. But thank you for your service. Wow. That means a lot to me. And thank you for that. And Mahek, I just wanted to say just in terms of activism, it looks different for different people. I remember hearing a, a short, um, story on KQED one day about this young woman who was fiercely antisocial and didn't want to go to rallies or marches or not necessarily be around large groups of people, but she wanted to be involved in movement work. So she, she used her skill at knitting to knit beanies and mittens for people that were out on the front lines during the cold for the actions that they were a part of and how much of an impact that that had on people in her city. And I just thought that was beautiful. And there's so many different ways to contribute from where you are, no matter who you are and where you are. And so, you know, getting active might look different for you than it does for me, but people can find ways to do it. And so um, there's nothing to it, but to do it. Thank you so much, council member. I might need to write that down. <laughs> 
Um, I'm so glad we were able to talk with you today and talk about your values and what you stand for. Um, and I, I know that um, I, I wanted to solve problems in the world from a young age, but I, my understanding of how those problems formed was something, it was a privilege gifted to me from my education. And mm. so I'm glad we were able also to talk about that today and the importance of education. And I hope to see people continue to fight for it. Yes, me too. We have to. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. And I do want to say I am not the master of all things. There are people who know way more than I do around this, the education fight. Um, and I would encourage, I have a list of organizations that I'm working with um, who are on the ground every single day. Mike Hutchinson, number one, is the, the goat around um, what's happening with the school board. He's, he's on the board right now. We were in some organizations before um, <laughs> in 2014 when I was uh, running a mayoral campaign. Um, Mike and I worked together directly after that to to be a part of an organization that continued on the electoral process and we both got elected at the same time. So it was like, like meant to be because we had always been on the outside, like rattling the cages. And then we both got elected during the same year. It was hilarious, but um, definitely would, would, if you all have more time to talk about education, Mike is like an encyclopedia with all of this stuff for years. So I would definitely encourage you speaking to director Hutchinson, from the um, Board of Education. Awesome, thank you. And we, we might actually have to do that. <laughs> um, so I appreciate that, that call out. You, I, I, I encourage it. He's, he's a powerhouse and he does not play. So I would definitely encourage say. that. Thank you. This was PolicyWise, an intergenerational podcast by Youth Leadership Institute focused on bringing young people into the policy conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PolicyWisePod. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss, please slide into our DMs or send us an email at policywise at yli.org. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes.